You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knessis. everybody. Welcome back to Native Plants Healthy Planet. This is your host, Tom Knezik. Uh, Fran is absent today. Uh, he mentioned something as he was leaving the office that he had to go to the Japanese Barbary Supporters Convention. Uh, something about he was being promoted the treasurer of the association and to keep it on the down low. Don't let anyone know. So uh, he is not going to be with us today. And I thought it would be a great idea to launch a new project that we've been working on where we have conversations with insiders doing things that we love. Um, so one of the things we've always talked about on this podcast is we want it to be kind of like a look, like we're having a, a conversation with other industry professors, with other horticulturalists, uh, wildlife biologists, people in the industry at a conference, the things we will be talking about, kind of the open of the door on that. And uh, what we decided to do is actually do that. So a couple weeks ago, I met up with uh, our friends, Lane Rothhauser, Bill Young, and then my brother, Steve. And uh, we had a little moth night at our farm, at one of our wildflower seed farms. And it was a ton of fun. And we took about an hour out of our our night, um, basically to sit down and just kind of talk about what we were doing and some of the things we were seeing. And uh, we're interrupted by a couple moths. And it was really, really cool and a a fun discussion. I think you're really going to enjoy it. A couple warnings as we get into it. We're doing this outside in the middle of the night. There's a microphone in the middle of the table, so uh, it was pretty low key. So you're going to hear some background noise. There's some crickets that are chirping. There's some other stuff going on. Uh, a couple guys, I think, might have kicked the table, so you hear like a bump, a bump here or there. And um, and just because we're all sitting around the table, you have people who are louder, people who are quieter. So every once in a while, I hear the, the voices are going up and down a little bit. So... Uh, Hopefully you have patience for it, but just a fair warning ahead of time that that is going to happen. So without any further ado, I really think you're going to enjoy this one. Let's kick into it. All right, this is a special edition of Native Plants Healthy Planet. I'm the co-host, Tom Knezik, and uh, and it's, what, 10.30 now? 10.24. Yeah. yeah, it's getting late at night. We're out here for a really special thing, and I'm going to call this the, the secret tapes, um, and maybe we'll keep it a secret forever because we're drinking beer and smoking cigars, smoking cigars. <laughs> so but we're doing something really cool and that we're kind of having an impromptu moth night here at our seed farm foggy bottom farms and um and we have some special guests that are here to kind of help us with that the first one is my brother steve Knezik, nature boy steve and uh say hello steve how's everyone doing tonight so yeah, he's here really just to, to provide from some morale and some delicious orange watermelon and be our cooler boy. <laughs> he's sitting next to the cooler. And it's his backyard. So, so he's cool. Then we have Professor and now Senator Bill Young. Uh, he's here because he's our connection to the Mothman. And uh, and he, he doesn't give himself enough credit. He knows at least a couple of moth names, more than I do. Very few. And then we do have the Mothman, and that's Blaine Rothhauser. And, uh, and he can tell what a moth is from 20 feet away pretty accurately. What you said, 70% of the yeah, time you can tell what it is. Right? At this distance, it's probably uh, yeah around 70%. Yeah. So we're having a lot of fun so far. We started, what, around 8? What you said, 8 o'clock is when we kicked as the light soon on. As soon as it gets the, dark. As soon as the, it's set, which was 8.10 tonight. Yeah, so we've been doing this about two and a half hours, just about. And uh, I think you said we saw... Uh, we have 26. We have 26 species. I need to identify five when I get back to the office. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how many species of moth there are. Because I, I even think about this at home. How many species of moth can you name? Because when we were put on the spot earlier, I could name like Luna moth and Cecropia moth, and uh, that was basically it. So. I would consider myself an almost an amateur entomologist, but man, like after looking at this white she over here i feel like i'm dumbfounded and then hearing blaine rattle off the names man there's so much to learn and the names are crazy and look at the door and there's book. what three thousand <laughs> species of moths that are native well, in, new jersey? in new jersey you know the the number that gets bantered around by experts beyond my level 
is 3,200, but that doesn't mean that cyclically, year to year, you don't get a couple hundred more here and there. And of course, climate change and other landscape changes are making that number big go moth. up and down. We got a giant moth right here. Yeah, we have a big moth crashing the party. Oh, let's so. see what it is. <laughs> what we got? Oh, oh where it goes. It's a sphinx. It's, it's a sphinx, sphinx so, moth. So put him uh, by the light. So we just had a big moth. This is where it's going to be fun is we had the big moth just fly right into the uh, fly right into the table here and we have able to catch it but you just kind of bring it closer down. to the light calm down. and then it'll actually calm down and uh, and kind of hang out for a little bit. It's amazing. It's a white tarp hanging off of uh, off the side of Blaine's truck and with uh, what kind of light is it Blaine? It's a metal halide light. It's a thousand watts. Um, many people who moth it, like myself, will argue about what light is best that uh, attracts the most amount of moths. Uh, I like a thousand. Uh, others say that their 400 is uh, is better. It's a full spectrum light, so it is going to attract a large variety of lights. Ultraviolet light does a good job too. Uh, and it's a completely different, um, it's outside this spectrum. So, and of course, there's many moss and insects that see in that spectral mm -hmm. uh, zone. So you attract different moss there. So, yeah, so one technique we use is we'll turn that light off and have the ultraviolet on on the other side. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the moss that were distracted by the strength of this light, all of a sudden come in. So before you leave, you check your ultraviolet and you add another 20 species wow. to your list. Yeah, yeah, it's really incredible. Even just besides the moss, all the other insects that are up there. But uh, I guess the real question I think a lot of people are gonna have are why are we looking at moths? Other than the moths being cool themselves, um, but why are we looking at moths here uh, specifically? Well, think about 3,200 potential species each with its own life history, its own niche function, which varies like snowflakes, right? You have moths that will consume grasses, larvae. You'll have moths that'll consume pine needles. You'll have moths that'll soon consume dead stuff. You have moths that pollinate. You have moths that uh, do the heavy lifting of feeding so many other critters. Look at chickadees, they can bring back to their nests. All you have to do is ask your buddy Doug Tallamy. He'll tell you a couple of chickadees will bring back 6,000 caterpillars to feed their... Well, most of those are nocturnal lep lepidoptera, or as we moth people like to say, nocturnal leps. Mm -hmm. So think of all the nocturnal leps that they're balancing the scales. You know, they're yeah. allowing the scales to be balanced. Um, and, and again, there, uh, we talked about this with your wife before. She mm -hmm. was asking the same question. And the answer was, there's this red queen effect where each species is fighting each other yeah. biochemically. And that is a good thing because you, you don't want one species to, to outcompete and then become dominant in the environment. Mm -hmm. You want it to stay in a stable, uh, in a stable way. So then, you know, you have balance. You're, Nature is always fighting for balance. And that's mm. your, when you say the species are kind of fighting each other, you're talking about like moths are fighting the plants and yep. the plants are and evolving plants are, to outsmart the moths th that's and right. going back and forth. Biochemically mostly. Fighting yeah. each other, yep. right? Yep. And that balance is important because uh, if, if it's done correctly, when I say done because now mm -hmm. people have to get involved in making sure that that balance stays in play. That's why you guys are in existence, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's your job. Your job is to create some type of uh, ecological balance and not mm -hmm. let uh, invasives take over. So, you know, moss play into that. So moss tell you about your environment. Mm -hmm. Once you look at all those niche functions, circling back to your original question, yeah. once you look at all those niche functions, which are many, if you can do a list of moss at a moth light, you can now optically refine what that local environment is. Mm -hmm. I always, when I do moth programs, I like saying, the light is a thermometer. The ground is the, is the integument of the earth. And you're sticking that thermometer in that point of contact. Mm -hmm. And you're measuring mm -hmm. 
the ecological temperature of that general area in terms of impact. Is this site impacted anthropogenically? Is it really high quality uh, to other really naturalized areas in your local environment? That's what you want to do as an ecological, and Bill can talk to this better than me, as an ecological restoration practitioner, you want to be able to uh, maximize your bioecologic functionality. So, so, so the moth is an indicator of the health of the environment it says, and the quality of the environment. The totality of moths during a right. survey optically refine that particular site. It's the temperature that you're taking. So the lamp is right. your thermometer. So the moths have great fidelity. They're accurate indicators of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm in that local environment in which you're doing your surveys. And that's what I call terrestrial rapid bioassessment. Yeah. TRBA. When you, uh, when you asked us to do this, and we were, we, I guess we were talking about doing this, you kind of said, oh yeah, if you have water, that's a good spot. And then like kind of a variety of different ecosystems, that's what's going to bring you the most moths because each kind of moth has their own habitat and own plants that they like. And, um, and then there's generalist moths. So that's why I picked the spot right near our irrigation pond at the farm because, uh, what, 100, probably 100 yards away, we have a bunch of our seed fields. Um, we're right next to a little patch of woodland. Of woodland. Right. Red um, cedar row. Yeah, we have a cedar row. We have uh, just conventional ag is, is all around us as well. There's a ditch. Um, There's a nice ditch going by yeah. too. Yeah. So it's kind of a variety of different ecosystems that are all right here at this point in the... Uh, and then you can right. pull your truck here too. It, and I can get my survey truck here. Right. And, and the moths are verifying that. They're mm -hmm. confirming that diversity. Yeah. Yeah, tonight so far these 26 moths edge toward the agri agricultural anthropogenic mm -hmm. side. We've just got a couple of moths that are more oh, specialists. There's a big yeah. one right here. In the fur a couple of big sphinx moths. The further we get into the night, the more um, of that optical resolution to the greater habitat we'll get. But let, let me just warn everybody that we picked this site because it's fun. Mm -hmm. yeah. We knew we were gonna get yeah. a big variety because there's a lot of different habitats. Mm -hmm. But when I'm doing these surveys, I'm trying to find proxy sites mm -hmm. that I can compare with in the future. Yeah. If somebody is going to try to build back an Atlantic white cedar swamp, mm -hmm. well, I better have a lot of data on Atlantic site yeah. cedar yeah. swamps because the moss that are going to tether themselves to the Atlantic white cedar community mm -hmm. is going to be much smaller than where we're sitting right here because mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a more homogeneous uh, structure. Yeah, yeah, and that's important too because you mentioned uh, before we start recording you want to establish a baseline so mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll get paid to go out to mm -hmm. a site before they do anything. That's just right. Say, hey, what's what's going on here now? And uh, I would assume you probably, at some of these places where it might just be all grass or, or bare dirt. Or a lot of generals. It's, maybe it's a super fun site or something like that. You really don't see, I would assume you don't see that much. I have a site, and Bill can talk to it because he's been there a couple of times, helped me out uh, to design it, but the uh, a site in Port Nork. Mm -hmm. uh, a a um, chemical company right underneath the 78 Exchange Bridge. Yeah, you have a, a tidal marsh, but you also have disturbance. It, it's just hardscape, mm -hmm. some grass fields that we converted to meadows. So we did TRBA, Terrestrial Rapid yeah. Bioassessment, originally. Then we built back better, to coin a friend of Bill's, uh, <laughs> The, we built back better the the environment and um, now we go back and we're getting where we started with 12 species like you said you get a grass lawn you're going to get all these these grass crambids these mm -hmm. these ag species and now we go back and we're getting um incredible diversity and it's all because we reconnect we re bioengineered the in site. the city of newark in the city yeah. of newark. so what i say is if we can do it there we can do it anywhere it's yeah. amazing mm. like restoration works yep yeah and that's where we've had some really cool guests on the our podcast recently um the, the one i'm thinking of actually is i don't know exactly when this 
episode we're recording now is going to air, but it's going to air on, I guess it would be September 1st, I want to say. Okay. Not this Friday, the, no, August 26th, I guess is what it'll be. It'll be next Friday. And, um, but it's with uh, Johnny Kispe from the Nature Conservancy. And he's their, uh, their city, New Jersey's city's program manager. So it's all about creating connect- connectivity and and habitat in cities. I think one of them being Newark. What? Um, yeah, so that's kind of ties in really cool with the right. conversation that Fran and I got to have yesterday morning. So, yeah, that's really cool that you're doing that in, in cities and then right. you can kind of I can't tell you how else. much work we've done in Brooklyn and Queens and Staten Island and habitat comes back. When Henry Hudson showed up, this was all beautiful. It was the best habitat you could make. Now we built this great city, but it works if you can bring it back and restore it and put in native plants and put in habitat and clean it up from all all its contamination. Can you imagine, Bill, if we could have worked together, we knew each other back (laughs) then when you were doing the Staten Island landfills? Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine if I baselined... I'd get right. two moss. Right. They'd be a celery leaf here and a lucerne, okay, right. for people out there. That's, those are just what we call crap moss, but they're really not. You know, you got to remember, too. I hate, I hate calling anything crap because they were feeding something as larvae, whether they be mm-hmm. house sparrows or starlings. Right. They were, they were trying to, they were screaming at the top of their lungs, build back. Right. Please, build me back. But that's why... And getting back to TRBA, it's so much excitement in growing this tool mm-hmm. because it's a it's a baseline um, quantitative way, not just snapshotting it or doing mm-hmm. a bio blitz and saying, ah, we had this many species here. This can really tell the people who are spending money mm-hmm. on these projects that we're making a ecologic difference yeah. because the energetics of the system are coming back. Mm-hmm. The ecosystem food nexus is being rebuilt and here it is. You can see it in the in the uh, in the data from the moss. Yeah. And you mentioned bio blitzes there, which are a really I think are a really good way to get people interested in ecology and and the environment. But I I've always doubted their actual merit as like a, a right. scientific study it's like drba light <laughs> yeah you're, you're really diversity isn't always the end goal at some of these places like if you had an atlantic cedar swamp you don't necessarily want a ton of like that's, a higher number is not a better thing that's in right that case you just need to have the right things there right. you want the so, specialist and i think with a bio blitz sometimes the goal can be how many things can we actually count and uh and that's not always the best thing because that may include Japanese barberry or or uh, spotted lanternfly or things that aren't desirable. Although we were talking about spotted lanternfly earlier, and uh, and you brought up a really good point about how much it the, like the pollination benefits and then the things well, that are eating the, it. Well, it, it, oh, it, 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 it was the it segued us. No, but it segued us because yeah. spotted lanternfly is is uh, tethered to Alanthus altissima, mm-hmm. right? So. And, and now about 70 other plants, from what I understand. But its main, <laughs> its main tree is a land. So Steve was saying, he showed me, he came, he goes, oh, what is this? And he just showed me a picture on his cell phone. And I said, that's an Alanthus webworm. Mm-hmm. And that is, a, that is a species that came in with Alanthus, but it jumped shipped. And it now is pollinating mm-hmm. at high levels. Mm. You're... Your uh, your fields. Yeah, if right. you go out, it's a diurnal moth, mm-hmm. one of the few, right? You think a moth. So it's being the webworm that's beneficial, not the spotted lanternfly. Yeah, it's the webworm. Yeah. That's okay. where we oh, got okay. gotcha. got confused, but that segued us into yeah. it. That's yeah. why it, right. we talked about Atlantis. Yeah, but, but it's yeah, a it's, heavy lifter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's I have cool. a I have a basic question. So why are the moths and other insects attracted to the light? Well, it's a, it's the light question that we get at every time I do a program, okay. right? And there's lots of um, there's lots of answers to why things are attracted to light, but the going rate that I see out there that scientists smarter than me and by the way this question is still being <laughs> still trying to be answered by scientists and the one that I use the most the one that makes the most sense is that at night what does a, what does any insect have to do at night it has to come up out of grass mm. have to come up above grass. 
but how does it orient itself? How does it know uh, where you. top and bottom is? Mm -hmm. Well, before there were lights, there were stars and the moon, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So as long as an insect's eye, which are incredible, I can. I am not an entomologist that can speak to Osmotidian at the level that <laughs> that needs to to get this answer exact. But the bottom line is they have very sensitive eyes, so they can orient what top and bottom is by using the stars as their guide. So when okay. they fly up, they tax toward the the stars. Now you put a big giant thousand watt metal halide light in the middle of the all of a sudden in the middle of the night. It is the one thing it's taxing to. It wants to tax to it. Then when it gets to the light, it starts to spin around. It's trying to tax itself toward the light, just like it would mm, to the stars. Star. But it's the doing it on, exactly. it's like doing it on steroids, yeah. you know? And then it sits, because it tires itself out and it sits. Now that's the quick, simple answer to that question, Steve. Oh, no, that makes sense. <laughs> You'll you, buy that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope it's I hope it's as accurate as it can be. Yeah. So in one night with one light, you can bring in all these species and get a really good snapshot of the health of the ecosystem. That's the rapid part of terrestrial yeah. rapid assessment. Somebody could, you know, we I work for GZA Geo Environmental. So as an ecologist, we want to and I've marketed baseline surveys using moss as proxies of ecologic health. So when we get a final number. This, I think, is the, the fun thing that I like to mm. say. I hope you don't mind me oh, going no, on. Go ahead. But, but I, I've created a scale. It's called the Sin and Apoanthropic Scale. I love that. And so it's, it sounds like one big, I long teaching. bunch of word salad. But think of it. Sin is, a, is close to. Okay. Anthro is human, right? Sin and, and Apo. Sin anthropic would be um, species that are way far to the left to closer to humans like mm -hmm. you think of raccoons and skunks and all the mesopredators synanthropic then you got anthropic species like the obtuse yellow mm -hmm. that's on the you you find it near humans but you can find it away from humans so the apple side of the scale is the stuff that's you're in the middle of an atlantic white cedar swamp in the pine barrens mm -hmm. that's that's um apoanthropic species mm -hmm. so very the, rare, yeah, yeah. you know, good, good, good functions, high water quality, clean. Mm -hmm. So you want to push your scale when you do restoration mm -hmm. toward the apoanthropic side, but not losing sight Man, that yeah. you have Zero, multi high, you multi habitats. That over. Yeah, you know, that makes yeah. sense. Oh, yeah. You want to move the the met the this cursor over mm -hmm. to the apoanthropic side, where you get the really cool rare species. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because the rare species, if I understand correctly, tend to be specialist species. They Correct. tend to be. need Correct. to have one thing or uh, maybe a hand, like a, a genus that they rely on instead of being a generalist like some of the other things we've talked about so far. Without losing sight that a generalist is fine. Oh, yeah. You know, yep. we need generalists, mm -hmm. okay? But the ag stuff, the, the cut grass stuff, Yep. The disturbed ruderal communities, we want to, no matter what, you want to stay away from that side, the mm -hmm. synanthropic side. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So I now that we're about 20 minutes in, I should have mentioned in the beginning that I did want to lay out two ground rules. And one of them was that we should try and steer clear from politics. Although you did have very... Did I say anything you, no, political? No, no, you didn't. I can if you want me to. <laughs> no, that's, you had a really <laughs> Just good ask Bill. educational debate. <laughs> And the best part of it is that it was, uh, even though you might have had opposite opinions on things, it was very friendly, and then you, you bumped fists and said, hey, we're going to trade trade our resources at right. the end. But we, have to, but we each have to read each other's literature. Which yes. does not happen. Yeah, that's the hard part. Um, and then the second thing was, if we do see anything cool on this tarp over here, we have complete permission to jump up and identify it oh, and, good. and go after it. And even if you can identify it from over here, yeah, feel free I, I got to do my it point it out. So, but the other thing I wanted to get into was what, of the 26 that you were able to identify right now, what moths are they? And, um, and throw out some of them, maybe the more interesting names. More anthropic. Yeah. What are the most anthropic <laughs> moths out there? Well, there, there's a lot of, of uh, synanthropic species on this list. In other words, 
more on the disturbed site. Mm -hmm. um, in Anthropic, there's only one species that I would consider moving toward the synanthropic side, in other words, specialist side. Mm -hmm. But again, this is a good list for this area. If you said to me, Blaine, now I want Bill to build back a complete me meadow, an, an up a mesic meadow, uh, because that's what you're dealt with. You're dealt with a kind of a dry mm -hmm. meadow, but I want it to be as uh, ecologically diverse as it can be. I can now tell you by reading this list yeah. what you need to plant, mm -hmm. what you need to um, input in terms of hydrology to get to build back that meadow in a in a more energetic mm -hmm. way. Yep. Uh, but I'll, I'll name some of these. Let's get some of the fun stuff. I mean, the names of mm -hmm. these things are, some of them are crazy. Soft line wave, elegant grass veneer, grayed snout, flowing snout, green clover worm, arch hook tip, wedgling, grape leaf deer, a plume moth, which I would have to genitally dissect mm -hmm. uh, to know the species. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I won't yeah. do that because I, I, I respect them too much. Mm -hmm. I respect yeah. their yeah. I respect their privacy, Tom. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure it's an artichoke plume moth. A bicolored parousta. to thank you, Tom. You found it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I love that. Bicolored parousta. Yeah. That's the name. Can I tell I... a funny story? Oh, I yeah. text that to you. Okay. Yeah, you texted me. <laughs> Can so I, I tell you a funny it. story? As Bill knows, I love baseball. Mm -hmm. Okay, I take my my kids and my family to see a. I'm an Atlanta Brave fan, so I take my kids to go see the Braves versus the Phillies over mm -hmm. at uh, whatever field that is. Citizens Bank. Citizen Bank. And you know we're it's in the sixth inning, and we're having a great time. Braves are kicking butt, and all of a sudden. Uh, my two sons, they were probably 17 and 14 at the time, mm -hmm. and they're sitting down, and all of a sudden, now remember, this field is in the hardest scaped area of the country, right? Mm -hmm. There's bituminous yeah. concrete yeah. as far as the eye can see, for miles. All of a sudden, a little tiny moth lands on the, on the bench in front of uh, my son, and my two sons look at each other and look at my wife and go, no. Don't, don't do it. I go, oh my God, a bicolored Parousta. Unbelievable. I get a Phillies game. This is great. They, they just moved, they got up out of their seat and moved down, yeah, yeah, down yeah. three sections. That was that. And it was depending on the, as, far as, it, as long as it wasn't back in like 2008, there's probably room to move around at the Phillies game too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. You have a moth on your computer right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, an elegant grass veneer. Very nice. But yeah, this list here for your site right now is, you know, oh, but the obtuse yellow, mm -hmm. which are, a lot of them were specialists. A lot of them, uh, one fed on sycamore, I mean, on sweet gum. Yep. Obtuse yellow was here. a butternut and walnut specialist. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, the snowy arule is a specialist. I got to look into it. The cigarette uh, flower moth likes greater ragweed mm -hmm. and I know everybody out there just went oh who wants those yeah. right yeah. Mm -hmm. but ragweed is a native plant both lesser and greater a native yeah. uh, native plant so native I love plant, the fact that uh, there's a moth that pollinates mm -hmm. that and this is also turned people off but it's great uh, food for white-tailed deer oh, it's wow. one of their preferred oh, forages yeah ah. so uh, we're building food webs yeah yeah I so. rip it out every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not good for seed production, but it comes right out of the ground too. It's an oh, easy one to pull. Yeah. So it takes a while for all the moths to find their way here. So we listen to ball games on the radio, we drink some beers, and we sometimes smoke cigars, mm -hmm. and that helps us pass the time. Yeah, because we, like I said, we started at eight ten. You said you kicked on the light. What time do you usually wrap up these these surveys? So here's my rule of thumb. Um, it's actually a protocol because mm -hmm. remember, if I if you hire me to do this now and you do some restoration and have me come back five years from now, I better follow the same temperature mm -hmm. within ten degrees, same humidity, same wind speed, similar date, similar mm -hmm. date. It's got to be because moss have flight periods. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. They kind of peak around July twenty sixth. That's why that's National Moth Week. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. uh, because you get the Heat and humidity drive mm -hmm. moss out. That it, it, when I say the most moss species, the species richness, the most yeah. amount of species, but you have moss that you'll get in the spring 
that you won't get in the summer mm -hmm. and moths that you'll get in the fall that you won't get in the spring or summer yeah. and some moths that you get in the spring and fall that are the same because yeah, they're right. they're multivoltine which is a fancy right. way of saying they skip a generation and right. and uh, mm -hmm. you'll see them in the spring and the so fall. So you want to yep. duplicate conditions so it's yep. apples to apples yeah not apples yep. to orange. Now yep. the multi multivoltine was that was the luna moth a multivoltine is that what you said? No, no? it staggers its uh, emergence okay. over the course of a year. Yeah. So it's not and and I reserve the right to just double check that but I'm yeah. I'm yep. very um, pretty certain that it just staggers right. its okay. its emergence throughout. Right. I mean, you can get. I think I've had lunas on rare mm -hmm. occasions in October. So yeah, because I know I, that was one of the things when my mom got here. She's like, "Oh, I thought they only came out in <clears throat> in May, but we have a luna moth here that's really beat up." Right. <laughs> yeah, we're looking right. at we're looking right. at them right now. Right. Yeah. All right. So yeah. so you didn't answer. So what what oh, time? Oh yeah. So, so how long do you go? Thank you. So in the um, in the course of a of a survey, I stop when we get less than two moths in a half hour mm -hmm. okay. coming, and that that varies. Um, but when I come back, I'm going to stop at that same okay, time yeah. when I do it again. So we're comparing. But out you try to go like maybe to midnight, right? Because yeah. some are really latecomers. It, they it, come to the ball late. I, I've you, it, it usually ends around one o'clock. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just in general, that's a general statement. I've been at sites. I remember the most moss I've ever gotten a site in New Jersey is on Old Mine Road, up in the up in the Water Gap area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, had 238 species of moss wow. in wow. one night. Wow. Now, if you're a birder and yep. you get 60 species in a day, you're in heaven. You're in heaven. Right. Mm. So I always say, come to the moss. Come to the lights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I've seen how busy you were just tonight with our 26 species because you'll take some pictures and then you'll compare it to your your guidebook over here. Yep. You'll you'll look them up and just try and kind of key them out for your your survey. And uh, and even then you're busy writing all this stuff down. You're not constantly looking at at moss. How many different kinds of moss do you think you miss? In that's a, a, a that's day? a great question, Tom. That's a really good question. And I've thought about it, so I have an I have an answer for you. Twenty percent. Okay. Yeah. Wow. They're right behind us. You know how many moths are just sitting in? Yep. It, we're just we'll describe. We're in a little bit of a uh, a grass unkept grass field. Behind us is a naturalized ecotone yep. with um, with meadow plants and and and, and, I, and a woodland. And, and Steve, right? You yes. You nabbed the luna moth. Oh, yeah. I, we would have missed the luna moth had Steve not looked behind us and mm -hmm. saw something moving around. Yeah. But they do tend to linger. So they don't flit in and then run away. They linger a while. Species dependent. Oh. Some species will, will hit the ground and get out of Dodge City right. and escape. Some will hit the ground and stay there all night. Some will play dead, like leopard moss. You pick them up, they curl in a ball, you put them on the ground. He's there for six hours until you close shop. <laughs> and yeah. lying like a dead moth, just just right. uh, can't wait for you to, to turn the light off. And from what distance do you pull them in over a night? Okay, so... <laughs> That's a good question. It's a great question. It, it, it goes back to the, to, the, um, to the biomechanics of light because every moth sees the light at a different mm -hmm. level, right? So some moths you can attract from great distances, yeah. like the luna moth. Well, let's face it, he's up in the air just checking out two parts per million of pheromone mm -hmm. to try to get that female. Well, the poor guy comes across this bright light and he just dives down yeah. and he's there. If So he's coming from great distances but most most of these little micro moss the average moss you know the light signature to the human eye is about 300 feet so to a moth I would say the average distance is a thousand thousand feet three okay. about 300 um, meters right right okay thousand feet yeah. yeah which is a long distance when you think about it but you put in the scope of where we're sitting right now on this farm it's well Steve, how far away do you think your house is? It's more than... About a yeah, it's more than a thousand feet. feet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, so maybe it's that a little bit yeah, right around Yeah, his that house, distance. I would say yeah. 
over time they keep coming in, right. attracted. Yeah. So yeah, and we we talked about the phonology, right? Mm. They yeah. they have different um, ways of going about their day. Some emerge a little later. Some fly later. So I always use the uh, angel. It's a really mm. cool moth that puts his head. He, he makes like a little tent. He yep. he puts his, he goes on his hind legs and he looks like a little tent. He looks like an angel. It's yeah. a beautiful oh. thing. He always comes to the party about midnight or after. Yeah. Mm. So, so you if get, you pack up early, you're yeah, gonna miss you're going to miss yeah. the angel. Yeah. 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 On average. The other thing that I found really interesting about this is when most people think of moths, they're thinking like, a, well, one of a luna moth or a, scrop- a cecropia moth, which are big, or you're thinking of like the little white moths that might hover around your, your porch light. Mm-hmm. And uh, there may be like a nickel to a quarter size, but some of these moths are super tiny. And you'd almost miss them, like the one that just actually came right in front of my face. Right. Is they're really, really small, like like a tiny little bead or even smaller sometimes. It's, it's amazing. I use the pinky mm-hmm. as the way to judge. If you look at your pinky and you divide it in half, an average pinky is about 10 millimeters. So mm-hmm. some most of these moths on that sheet right now, I'd yeah. say 35, so not most, but about 35%. Are under are around five to eight millimeters. Yeah. I'd say ten percent are under five. So think about a quarter of a pinky nail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's really impressive. And they're how beautiful. Small they are. Oh right. yeah, they're, and they're all, beautiful. They're you need a macro lens. That's yeah. why you need the macro lens. These mm-hmm. things that look like specks, that these look like yeah. a piece of dust, are gorgeous. Yeah, and but even if you wanted to do this, oh, like you're like under your porch light and you're seeing what's on the side of your house. Even I was using my iPhone yeah, we 11, great shot. and you can get a pretty good picture. You no, it's not can. nearly as good. No, as no, but getting. you get a great shot. Well, that's I went into the settings and I turned all this stuff up so I shoot video in 4K and my images are like at the highest resolution. It kills your battery and takes up all your storage, but you get some really hmm. cool pictures. It wasn't so, final. Yeah. So and I, you guys were mentioning that you usually turn on the baseball game, which you were listening yeah. to earlier. Billy, you just said the it's four four. The Yankees I thought the are game, I thought it was a final, and the Yankees lost again. It's now four four in the bottom. In the well, bottom now you got to check the Braves score. For okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So and then the Braves are playing the Mets, and they were down four to one. Or it's four five to one. Five they, to one. There's so. no way with Scherzer on the mound, it's over. Oh my God! Yeah, they man. came. Church back. is out. Go in peace. Yeah. But and what a great sport to just like. I guess traditionally it was listened to on the radio for for decades. And then it's kind of like going back to your roots, just listen to it on the radio. and The best. Yeah. yeah the it's, best. It's, do you remember? Not many sports you can listen to on the radio. Tom, do you remember when you were a kid and your father said, go to bed? You know, and it's <laughs> yeah. 9 o'clock yep. and I'm like, well, I'm listening to the Yankees-Tiger game. Yeah. You know, so I'd go under the sheets and put the little I've yep, wave. I did that, yep. And it was the best. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, I remember we used to listen to hockey games on the radio. It was. It, I shouldn't even say hot. It was like the Trenton Titans local, like right. ECHL. ECHL affiliate, right? <laughs> for I think the Islanders and the but Flyers. But because it's radio, they the radio. have to yeah. describe it. Whereas yeah. TV, you're watching it. The they, they the radio is better announcers because yeah. they have to describe they the put the you there. They the put good you announcers there. put you there. Vince was, Scully, rest in peace. Yeah, there was a, a story I heard. I I think it's true about Ronald Reagan, and how he was actually a radio announcer, like a. Yes. I don't want to say amateur, but he was right. not I like a well-known was great. one. Yeah, and he was just kind of in like a, a random uh, studio someplace, and they were sending him like the game notes. Oh, and all of a sudden, he stopped getting the game notes, and he did this whole big description about the batter and the pitcher. Now the the pitcher would throw the pitch, and oh, right. it was another foul tip, and it was just foul tip after foul tip after foul tip. Because he couldn't just stop talking. Right. He's yeah. just, he just he made just, it up. So he was just making up what was happening until he got another note in. And, and it was like 14 minutes or something. And it was like the greatest like pitcher's duel, pitcher right. batter duel. A lot of foul Everybody tips. was just making it all That's up. That's a skill. That's, yeah. That's yeah. a real skill. Yeah. It's a skill I have a lot more appreciation for after starting podcasting. Because it's really hard to just talk and fill air. Right. Um, even when it's just Fran and I on our Buzz episode. It's just hard to... It's hard to talk. Like, we can do it because we're talking to each other. Right. Um, but say Fran, like, we used to be Fran would run out of the room to get something, and I had to, like, kill space for even just 30 seconds. It's, right. it's really hard to do. Right. So I can have an appreciation for that now. Right. Um, and then you always forget that there's actually people who listen to this, too. And, <laughs> like, you're not just talking 
amongst us like we yeah. actually are. And you have to hold to, them. You have to hold an audience. Yeah, thousands yeah. of people right now. Right. It's not hard with you guys around, though. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it's, and that's kind of when I know we've said a lot, Fran and I have said a lot our, when we're talking on the podcast, is we want it to be like we're sitting around a table, having a beer, and just kind of having a casual conversation, and it just happens to be we're all professionals in this industry and that's what the conversation's about so a common tan wave just flew in now that to many people who moth is like oh it's a common tan wave it's like to a birder it's a startling right yeah. mm. but to me as an ecologist i'm like i've seen that thing in an atlantic white cedar swamp mm-hmm. in a barrier island holly forest in a estuary in my backyard in this field it's such a ultra generalist it can't be dismissed as a a little brown job, yeah. a worthless hexapod. They're in a in the environment to just right. chew your clothes and really chew your garden. Band name by by the way, I know Fran's in all the the like Indian right. punk bands, but right. like uh, what was it, worthless hexapod? That would be a good there you like, go. The worthless good. hexapods. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Sorry or or the not, the not so worthless. <laughs> yeah. It's part of the food web. It's it building is. food web. Exactly. It's screaming. Right. To take care of me, right. you know, that's what I look at it as. I'm gonna circle again back mm-hmm. to the question about the little tiny guys. Yeah, the leaf skeletonizers. I told, told yeah, you, yeah, you were talking fascinating, about right? Mm-hmm. You ever see a leaf with with uh, road maps in yeah. it? Yeah, oh yeah, right. You're like, oh, what the hell did that? That's a that's those are most likely the leaf miner moths. Mm-hmm. Now think about a larvae. Now, now ponder this, Batman, that you have a larvae that can get in the interstitial spaces right. of the cells of a leaf. Look at a leaf. Yeah. And that living yeah. thing is chewing its way around, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it emerges, and it's a, um, it's a maple caloptilla. Yeah. Now, look that one up, people. It's an unbelievable, gorgeous little tent moth. It, it, it puts mm-hmm. itself up in a tent. It's just awesome. And when you photograph it on macro, you're like, this thing spends half of its life in this in in the cells of a of an oak leaf. Yeah, and it's uh, I'm think I was at a, a conference today, um, a nursery and arborist conference, and uh, the first presentation was actually really good. It's a, a guy, Bill Erickson from. Well, I shouldn't say the first one. All the presentations were really good. Some of them I agreed with more than others. But uh, the first guy, Bill Erickson, he's talking about these keystone species and how you should integrate um, oaks and and cherries and and willows and all that kind of stuff into traditional landscapes because they're so important for moths, for one. but that's, then you had that's a, telling me. That's a lot of the other uh, a lot of the other speakers were saying, "Oh yeah, we need to keep all this stuff off of there," and that's from a nursery perspective. Uh, we're growing plants in the nursery. A lot of our job is to kind of my my idea of the goal is we need to keep some of this stuff off the plants while they're in the nursery, so they can go out in the landscape and then grow up and feed right. thousands and thousands, if not millions, of these these creatures instead of just a handful here in the nursery and it's a weird it's a very subject it's like it's something where it's really hard to balance because you don't the goal of these plants is for them to be food for yeah and then have that that battle back and forth where they're evolving and and the laws are evolving going back and forth to to compete i guess we have these huge uh, patches of milkweed here and i'm always in this position where i need to collect the seed there's a bunch of other weeds in there i know there's monarch butterfly larvae and sometimes i know some people run combines through their milkweed fields and they're chopping up all the insects in there but you're collecting that seed and you know that seed is going to go out and help monarch butterflies around yeah it's one of those things where you're right we'll go through and we'll try and pick out all the caterpillars that we can that's tough steve i never thought of Right. Yeah. You know, it's so amazing what you guys do, and that's, at least that's you a think tough, about it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Or yeah, we just hand, you. we'll hand collect the seed and let the right. the field, you yeah. know, kind right. of mature. The yeah. leaves seem to fall off a little bit, and then we'll uh, yeah. clean it up. And it's, it's I was very saying, I was there's some presentations that I thought were like Bill Erickson's. He's a Rutgers Cooperative Extension Nursery agent, and really, really awesome guy. We've got a lot of really good extension agents nowadays uh, for the nursery space in New Jersey. Um, but then you have 
some other guys that they had really good information talking about invasive species and some other stuff like that and um and saying oh yeah it used to be really easy to get rid of this stuff because we'd use imidacloprid and and other neonics and now neonics are getting banned in new jersey um in some instances i think agricultural can still use them but you can't use them in like a residential landscape uh joe blow couldn't go to the home depot and buy it off the shelf anymore um but and he was saying oh but if you use them right they're they're not impacting pollinators and i really wanted to raise my hand and say that's not really true because the pollinators aren't just the bees and the butterflies and the moths feeding on the flowers it's also the larval stages the like you on the host plants talking about the name is like this kind of cutworm or this right. kind of bagworm or right. whatever well eventually it turned into a moth or a butterfly or something right. like that so it's on the host plant it's on its larval stage it's eating that plant if it's treated with a systemic pesticide right. it's gonna die right. so it's i hate when people say that some of the stuff is safe for pollinators yes it's safe for the adult stage but it's not safe for the, for the life cycle yeah. you need so, the whole life cycle like people talk about milkweed and, and yeah you hey could, tom that's a minor detail <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> our tarp but, uh, is getting loaded up with yeah you see now. the moss on that yeah. sheet now but uh yeah it's it was interesting because you have the the horticultural and landscape industry is just so focused on yeah. the plants need to look beautiful yeah. and we we can't have any of those little trails through the leaves that right. the moss might make and you can't have any holes that the caterpillars might make right. Eating, eating yeah, they the they needed, reject 20 yeah. million years of evolution, right. and that's where I really like Dr. Talamy's statement. Is like, oh, if you want to get rid of all the the damage on your oak and not see it anymore, take 10 steps back, and you won't see it. Ah, yeah. <laughs> You'll just see a big right. beautiful tree. You won't notice right. the the handful of leaves that have holes in them. And uh, yeah, it's just really important to think of that. And it's the industry's changing. Um, it's just not changing as fast as we got probably want it to. So, but we've. I get to hang out with you guys, and you guys get to tell me all the cool stuff and that I don't know, that I don't get from those kind of meetings. So that's always really important. So. Well, listening to, to Steve hit that note yeah. about, you know, understanding that he's he's doing that, too. That, that's unbelievable that... Well, it, your whole business model, now I'm just, yeah. now I'm just passing the, the accolades to you guys because it's just amazing that... That you have such a um, an understanding of not just the business side mm-hmm. of, of of giving restoration ecologists like Bill and I the opportunity to restore, but on your own footprint, yeah, you guys are very concerned about every aspect. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you. Yeah, thank you. And we try and do it too, Blaine. When you first showed up, I was telling you about what we did with the pond here mm-hmm. and how. Uh, well, Steve, you were the one who really did it all. Where. Yeah, uh, we, uh, we. I was just, lucky. You scattered the seeds. I was lucky beneficiary. We actually excavated the pond and pulled out. The pond was just a deep irrigation pond. That was my dad's idea. We got to give him credit. He wanted to scrape some soil out and create a little wetland area so ducks could dabble and fish had a area to, um, uh, to spawn, spawn there. And so I actually got to use the soil over by my house to build up the. Uh, the area a little bit yeah it was basically um, there are no ways we if you looked at it from an overhead we doubled the size of the pond but gave it a nice shallow section literally the, only the six to right. 12 inches deep littoral shelf it's, it's yeah. all yeah it's all um emergent species in there that you planted in a lot right. of or most oh, with of a lot, so. big tip from bill so if you're planting uh nymphaea you told me or um i struggle with my common names water lily Spatter Dock is new far. Nymphaea is water lilies. So the water lilies, either you or my dad, you said you could uh, put them in a little bag or something and put some and stones wait, in the bottom and, and throw you right. throw them in a deeper area right. and let them sink and, and then they'll grow up to the surface. Yep. yep. But yeah, we put we, uh, little pebbles in a bag. We scattered seed all throughout there and we're looking at it and for years we're like, oh man, this stinks. Like our seeds never coming up. And all of a sudden, about three years later, the next summer. Man, it's like glorious. We have all sorts of cool things that were just kind of a, uh, it was chaff seed or extra old seed that we just threw around the pond and it all came up. It's great. Yeah. I'm still amazed with how many just just moths are just flooding <laughs> our table, even though we're 20 feet away from the light. And uh, and just looking at how that tarp is loading up. Um, I guess one of the things I wanted to ask is what is the, the moth you've seen tonight that you were like the most excited by? 
Um, Spurgaya Leo. This is this uh, uh, little orange, white, black stripe, probably eight millimeter moth. Just because I haven't seen it all year during all my surveys. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, ah, oh, finally, Spurgaya Leo. Now, that was just me being excited on a personal note. Yep. The, what excites me the most is having your uh, son and... Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. And having um, your wife mm -hmm. and having your mother and your dad yeah. look at Moss like through a different Melissa lens. Was Melissa was gushing. She was like, I oh, yeah. wife was gushing. I was amazed, she yeah. said. She really yeah. dug it. My, so, and we've even talked about it on the podcast before, too, how my wife is like a... Uh, very big um, butterfly. I don't want to call her a hater. She doesn't like butterflies. I guess is the best way to put it. And it's just she you, you would the, the legs. It's the, the legs that get her. That's unbelievable. But, she was great then, tonight. Yeah, she's here and she's like, this is so much cooler than even. She's like, I thought it sounded cool, but it was even cooler than I expected it to be. <laughs> it's uh, and just all the, not just the how many different moths there were, but then how intricately designed they are. Like how the, the wings are just so cool. Um, all the patterns that they have are just really, really unique and ornate, and it's right. it's beautiful. Well, butterflies get all the credit because they're pretty yeah. and they're out in the daylight. Yep. The moths, what Blaine has done with his macro camera, is just shown they're magnificent. Yeah. And they're at night, so they don't get they don't get all of the love, and they deserve it. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I can't wait to go check out this tarp again. And, and every uh, every program I do on moths, I tell people. Stop watching reruns of Seinfeld yeah. Yeah. and go out yeah. to the porch light, and a whole new universe will <laughs> right emerge. There. Yeah, and uh, like you were saying, my son's out here. He's running around. He didn't really care about the malls, <gasps> but he did care about playing with Uncle Bill. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. No, yeah, I think just... Uncle Bill was <laughs> yeah. more more into it than than he was. I got a good workout. Oh yeah, no, he, yeah, he'll he'll make you run. Yeah. That's for sure. But um, the other thing I'd ask is. What was probably maybe the rarest moth we've seen tonight? Oh, geez. Let me look at the list. Um, nothing nothing really struck me as, mm -hmm. oh, God, I, I'm so glad I saw that moth tonight. Here, check out these. Um, that little pink one. I wouldn't call it that rare. The fungus moth is, is unique in that its larvae mm -hmm. eats fungus. You know, you have moths that eat lichen. Yeah. Uh, as larvae, um, so none of these are are that rare. Um, well, the white line sphinx isn't rare, but it's uh -huh. impressive. It's a big, yeah. it's a big uh, moth. Everybody likes the big stuff, you know, the Saturnids and the silk moths, right? Or Saturnids yep. and the um, and the sphinx moths. But I, I'm uh, I can't give you. The news that you have, yeah, yeah, yeah. The rarest oh, moth in New Jersey. Yeah, it was going to be something really yeah, cool. That, yeah. that doesn't the night show. The night show. <laughs> but um, don't think oh. you're going to bed tonight. Oh no, no. Okay. That was I was uh, I was joking around in the conference I was at earlier, saying, yeah, I actually woke up early this morning because um, knowing that I already had to go to sleep, and I had to wake up a little early so I could make it to the conference on time, and then um, then uh, I like to sleep with the fan on really as high as it'll go. <laughs> I just get hot when I sleep. My wife gets really cold when she sleeps. Till it's so she moving the, the ceiling. The fan off. And yeah. at some point during the night, she turned the fan off. And I woke up at like 4.30 and I'm like, oh my God, it's so hot. And then I couldn't <laughs> fall back asleep. So I had to be up at like 6 or 6 o'clock anyway to get to my conference. But, or 5.30 to get my conference. I want to leave around 6. Well, the good news, Tom, is I got a yeah. two-hour ride back yeah, home. I know. You're so I, and late. I got to be at my... Uh, desk at you know eight o'clock yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so steve you don't have an excuse you were saying you get want to sleep in tomorrow oh he's got a great leaf folder which is a beautiful dotted black oh and yeah white that's moth. really cool yeah everybody loves steve, steve that, picked that it out and i thought it yeah yeah and there's a lot of these where i look at them and say oh i, I would come over and say i don't think this is a moth but do you know what it is yeah, and, it ended and up, i go it's a moth it's or a there's moth. a or it's a cat i thought it was yeah. a moth yeah. and it wasn't a moth everybody so. confuses caddisflies yeah. with moss but yeah so uh one thing we're all coming up on like an hour recording so i think that's probably a good amount of time unless there's anything that you want to cover that you don't think i did. want people to enjoy the nighttime as much as they enjoy yeah. naturizing 
during the day. Yeah, I, I even thought this was going to be cool. Bill, you've told me a ton of times how right. cool it would be, and it's so much cooler than I thought yeah, it was going to so be. Nice. It's so nice. I went to one about two years ago, and this guy Steve was, was building a house, and it was up north, and so it was like all the naturalists of New Jersey, that <laughs> friends of Blaine, yeah. and it was about 40 people. And there were three set up. Three, yeah, we had three lights. There were uh, other moth yeah. people, mm-hmm. and it was a social night. Nassau called us. It was awesome. It was awesome. So I guess that's a, another question: is how many times, Bill? You said you've done this with Blaine yeah, six fi- times, five, five or six, times? five or six. Yeah, yeah and I've Blaine, seen you give talks too. Yeah. I was say, Blaine, how many times have you done this? Huh. <laughs> I I'm approximating because, uh, and I give Wade Wander, he's an environmental consultant, all the credit in the world because I saw one of his programs and he got me hooked that night. I went out and bought a ballast and I. Wow. Uh, in a metal halide or whatever light I, I bought, a mercury vapor, the next day at an electrical supply yeah. company. And I've been, I was ODing on moth mm-hmm. nights. Um, but I would say uh, in the last uh, 12 to, yeah, 12 years doing this, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, oh, close to 2,000 yeah. nights. Wow. Well. <clears throat> now, when I lived in Florham Park, I would have my light out almost every night. Yeah. But I don't count those. That was just casual. Like, I'd, I'd listen to a game, and I'd come out yep. in the seventh inning and see who came to the party. Yep, yep. Now, when you're, uh, where, what was the question? Oh, yeah. My question was going to be, did you know a lot of these moths beforehand, or did you kind of learn them as I, you started to do this? I am learning them every yeah. minute that I'm out. Okay. I, I, I have to so relearn. About knowing I have to relearn. <laughs> these guys all the time especially the micros you yeah. know again sometimes you only see them for some have a a a flight period of two weeks some have a flight period of a month some have a flight period like the luna moth five to seven days yeah so you got to be in it to win it and then when you see a moth you have to memorize that moth because next year you're going to probably forget them mm-hmm. but you look through the books and the, a, a great source for your audience to to uh, write down is Moth Photographers Group. Mm-hmm. Um, they have that's on Facebook. No, 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 no. That's just a it's a, it's a site for moths run by the okay. University of Mississippi. Oh, very and cool. we just call it MPG. Yep. Uh, yep. But Moth Photographers Group will uh, be a good source to uh, identify your moth species. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me see. What do you got? But if we were on video, there's. Blaine's Peterson Guide Field Guide to Moss. Yeah, I was going to say, what are some of the, the books that you've? I and, know, and, it, and he's it's written it's dog-eared dog from all of his use. The pages are worn. It's amazing. Scribbled in. It's yeah, there's right. gorilla glue holding the yeah. right. together. So you had that book, or yeah. what other books? Yeah, that, that that's are on the, the table main book. Or, uh, that, that's the Bible to get started with. The 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 snouts and prominence, <laughs> underwings, zales and related owlets, typical geometers, carpets and pugs. Beetle in, in Seabrook is the Peterson authors, and this mm-hmm. guide will get you um, to most species that come to the lights. And then you use Moth Photographers Group if you have something mm-hmm. that uh, is a little difficult. You try to find at least the fancy word morphology, the general yeah. shape, and then work from there off mm-hmm. of plates. Uh, and then the answer to your question is. It's an ongoing process. Yeah. I'm, I, I go out mothing with scientists and other experts and citizen scientists that are so much more. You'd be surprised how many people are like into this. Yeah, you know, this is uh, a new, this is a new bird watching type. This thing. is way yeah. cooler than I expected it to be. I, I love this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. It's, um, and I'm. I know that we've hosted other moth nights here that I actually didn't even attend. Oh, wow. Um, our, I didn't know that. Our local uh, uh, watershed association does a moth night here. They've done it, I think, at least twice, if not three times. And I'll show up in the beginning, just kind of show face and say hello, and then hmm. go home and have dinner with my family and right. let them have fun out here, right. not realizing how much fun they're actually having. But that's even a group where they know some of the moths, oh, but they I'm don't. Sure. They definitely don't know as many moths as, as you know. I would think. I I know. Um, uh, I was we're going camping this weekend at Belle Plaine State Park down near Cape May, and I was looking at their calendar events, and they had a moth night at the end of July. 
So these are happening all over the place. It's not something that you it's have a good to go way out and buy to introduce families. And yeah. I've been hired to do moth parties. So yeah. at Lake Community, so they'd be cooking, you know, their kielbasa and hot dogs and hamburgers, and then their families will come to the light, which is you know yeah. a couple hundred feet away, and then I do my educational thing, and yeah. they love it. The kids love it. Everybody loves it. And I hope I get invited back to do it oh, here. Oh, yeah. This no, definitely. Foggy Bottom is, is it's awesome. Uh, yeah. Is awesome. Yeah. And it should only get better as far as the... Now, we're not creating... Well, we, I guess we are creating some true habitat, but just as we add more species to our our seed production... Totally. And takes... Well, we'll probably lose some of the... Ag, well, I would say we'll lose some of the agricultural species, but just behind us here, right over there, there's... Yeah, I don't think you're going to lose more much ag. ag. You'll ag get the eggs. So we'll still and that, that will manifest in the species list. Yeah, we should get... I know one of the things you brought up, you're like, oh, this is something that feeds on the mint family. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, we have an artificial osa field that's 100 yards away, exactly. so I wonder if that's where it came from. Right? It uh, probably did. And you're going to have Joe Pieweed, and you're yep. going to have yep. um, asters and goldenrods. Yep. They all have their, their yeah. sweets. Yeah, we lost Steve here. He's looking at the tar. <laughs> we like to end all of our episodes, our traditional episodes, with a final thought uh, that everyone can kind of share. Just to kind of wrap up, you can plug something. You can say, hey, I'm starting stand-up comedy and I'm going to do, <laughs> do it here next week. You can say really whatever you want. Just a little summarization of, of uh, kind of sum up the episode. So, uh, Blaine, why don't we start with you? Well, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to to present on a subject that a lot of people just don't understand. Even in my own business and my co- co-workers like, what's he doing? What does he do? Why Why is he doing this? What's he do? So that opportunity to explain the details of, um, of really ecological restoration and how it's a science and how it's mm-hmm. built upon studies and having baseline surveys to advance um, the ultimate goal, which is to built back and bioengineer sites because in my day job that's what I'm doing I'm helping uh, clients build back um, ecosystems yeah. on properties that are damaged mm-hmm. so and um, that's my final thought yeah cool Bill how about you uh, this is way fun it's a great chance to see my busy friend Blaine <laughs> so there's a lot of social yeah. and uh, I, I agree with the busy because we were trying to do this for a long long time many times and And i just think this trba is a wonderful proxy of how to get uh, the health of your ecosystem and to to verify all the restoration um growth that you that you do all the all the restoration that you do can be measured you can actually have an accurate measurement of that progress with the trba Steve, you want to go? Yeah, one thing, um, quick note, I'd like to, everyone, you know, take pride in your town, your country, and these plants that were grown, not only are they grown and made in America, but they're American natives. And I want people to take pride in their country, not only getting American made, but the things are deciduous to your area, native to your area. Amen. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, I think that's, that's really important. And uh, what I'd finish with is that I thought this was going to be cool, but at the end of the day, I'm going in this way. It's, it's just moths. It's, right. it's moths. <laughs> but oh my God, I was blown away. And for the first like two hours, even though I was looking at the same moths over and over and over, <laughs> right. oh, the same 30 moths, but the same <laughs> moths over and over and over, I'm like, I'm just glued to that tarp for two right. hours just saying oh yeah something cool is going to keep showing up and then come to the light what's this right. what's this what's this so yeah i want to get real, one of these it's lights real and, science yeah. you know i, I think, think we have fun, a, but it's real we have science. a lot more species over here right yeah now. i think yeah. i agree with you i think it's real science and it shows you you did a floristic assessment when you first got here and said just shout it out bill was shouting out all the different species he was seeing but i think this even reveals some things that maybe we didn't see because it's 20 yards in the woods or it's on the other side of the ditch or, or just out of sight um, or maybe it's something really small. So this is, it's rare, it's literally enlightening. So, all right, so that's gonna wrap us up. Uh, I have no clue when we're gonna air this. I have no clue how the audio is gonna sound. I think it's gonna be okay. 
I hope you can hear the crickets going in the background. <laughs> uh, but with that, thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet. Keep it native. Cool. So what did you think? We really enjoyed having that conversation, taking the time to make that recording, and, uh, and hope you did too. We have some plans, as of, so we have some conferences in the future. We have some plans to do some more of this um, with some other industry experts talking about seed, talking about habitat restoration, just kind of well, making time out of, uh, we're going to these conferences anyway, and getting to talk to these industry experts why not record it? So we plan on doing a bunch of these in the future, and we really thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. I have to give a big shout out to RJ Comer for our theme music for these episodes. Uh, make sure you stream or buy RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pinelands Nursery, on Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet and on YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, you can call our question and comment line. The number is 215-346-6189. Ask us a question. We would like to play them on the buzz and answer them live. So uh, let's not forget about the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. There's some great conversations that are going on there. If you want to learn, you want to talk about what we talked about on the episode, you want to chime in with your your funny invasive plant name, uh, that's the place to do it. And we can keep the conversation going on that platform. So you can find Native Plants Healthy Planet merch uh, on www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com. There's a banner at the top take you to our Teespring store, and that's where you're going to find uh, T-shirts that say things like eat native plants or plant native plants or Native plants are for the birds, and all the money that we're getting from that, the profits we get from those t-shirt sales are going back to organizations that we think are doing really good boots-on-the-ground work promoting and using native plants. So places where a few hundred dollars is going to go a long way into backing their mission. So uh, you can also listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet at www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com, but you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcasts if at all possible. When you're done uh, listening to your podcast, go and leave us a five-star review. And uh, it really goes a long way into promoting our mission of spreading the word about the importance of native plants. So, um, And if you leave a little write-up with that five-star review, uh, I give you a shout-out on a Buzz episode. So there's a little extra motivation to leaving that review. So uh, with that, thank you, everyone. We really appreciate you listening and taking some your very important time out of your day to, to spend it with us. So I'm Tom Knezic, and keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.